According to publicity concerning the recent BBC drama Vigil, millions of people watched the programme. Some folk here may have been among them. If you were, you will know that the writer Tom Edge did not always tell the story chronologically. From time to time, there were flashbacks to incidents that had taken place earlier. If you have not watched Vigil, I'm sure you're familiar with the technique, for it is often used in TV programmes, films and books. And in 2 Kings 20, which I invite you to turn to now, the writer does the same thing. Chapter 20 happened before 2 Kings 18, 13 to 19, 36, which, as already said, concerned the Assyrian invasion of Judah, the besieging of Jerusalem, and its deliverance. Look at verse 6. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. This is yet to come. And in this flashback, we're provided with two pictures of Hezekiah. In verses 1 to 11, he walks by faith. In verses 12 to 19, he walks by sight. In the first section, he seems to believe God is all he needs, while in the second, he doesn't seem so sure about that. We live by faith and not by sight, says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, in a passage focusing on our heavenly dwelling. Are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? Are we living in the light of the future promises of God or are we having a love affair with the present? Do we look in faith to God who in Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead and go forward in Christ? Or are we infected by the spirit of the age which puts self-reliance, achievement and autonomy at the centre of things, saying that these things are the answer? In short, do we look to God or do we look to the world? Do we walk by faith or walk by sight? Walking by faith means looking to God, looking above that is what we see Hezekiah doing in the first half of the passage. It opens with Hezekiah seemingly on the point of death. The prophet Isaiah comes with this message. This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Direct and to the point. God has seemingly called time on Hezekiah's life. We open with death at the top of the agenda, not where it often is in present-day culture. But walking by faith requires a proper perspective on death. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death, asks the Shorter Catechism. The Catechism is a question-and-answer summary of the key aspects of Christian doctrine. It was widely known by God's people in Scotland 
at a time when Scotland was known as the land of the book, the land of the Bible. The question again, in case you've forgotten it, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? To which the answer is, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies are still united to Christ and do rest in their graves to the resurrection. The resurrection, the resurrection of the living and the dead. And at the resurrection, the catechism declares the believers will be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. The intent of these questions and answers in the catechism is that the hope of dying in Christ, the hope of glory, the hope of the resurrection is to feature in the daily lives and thinking of Christian men and women. Life in this world is not to be the be-all and end-all of our existence. That, of course, should go without saying to people who believe the Bible. But it needs reaffirming amidst the contemporary cultural preoccupation with the present. Those who live for the present desire only what this world has to offer. Their ambition is to please themselves within the confines of the narrow pleasures of this world. But those who live for their future with God live for him in the present. Their ambition is to please God in the light of all that he has promised them in the future. Is our ambition, is our burning ambition to please God, to live for him in the present, in the light of of the future spiritual realities God's word promises. Walking by faith requires a proper perspective on death and what it is the precursor to. Resurrection. Life with God. In the new earth. In the new heaven and the new earth. Walking by faith requires a proper perspective on death. And in walking by faith, prayer has to be a priority. A priority being something we always find time to do. Your priorities in life are things you always find time to do. Isaiah's news of his impending death pushes Hezekiah to prayer, turns him to the one who alone can help him. Hezekiah communed with God alone. That is how the Wycliffe Bible commentary... Comment, I'll start that again. I haven't been to the dentist for a while. I'll probably need a new set in the top here. Hezekiah communed with God alone. That's how the Wycliffe Bible commentary, given to me as a Christmas present by Helen in 1969, interprets verse 2. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. 1969, so not a new commentary, an old commentary. Hezekiah communed with God alone. He prayed. 
And as we read, he prayed with tears. These tears, together with the phrase, turn to the wall, have been taken by some to indicate weakness on Hezekiah's part. But as the content of Hezekiah's prayer illustrates, where we find ourselves in this incident is in the world, the prayer world of the Psalms. Hezekiah prays, Remember, O Lord, how I walk before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. Hezekiah's prayer forms the pattern found in some of the Psalms, where the psalmist appeals to his righteousness, his walking in the way of the Lord, his walking by faith as a reason to be heard or delivered. My steps have held to your path. My feet have not slipped, praised David in Psalm 17 and verse 5. Hezekiah prayed like David. No surprise, really, given what 2 Kings 18 tells us about him. Hezekiah did right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Hezekiah prayed in the same vein as David. There's no claim to perfection in this, but only obedience to God's covenant. And as already mentioned, Hezekiah wept bitterly. The Psalms are, of course, full of such emotion, full of tears, full of anguish, full of intensity, because prayer matters intensely. It's a life or death matter. Hezekiah prays in accordance with the Psalms, in accordance with God's word. Do we? In the Psalms, we have a veritable manual of prayer. Do we utilize it? Does God's word guide us in our prayers? And does it bring forth any of the intensity, any of the emotion found in the Psalms? Do we consider prayer a life or death matter? However, what might be taking up your attention just now is the fact that Hezekiah asked the Lord God to reverse his clear word to him. And perhaps even more of your attention is taken up on the question why God's mercy is shown in the manner it is. Why did the Lord pronounce a sentence of death with all the trauma that involved for Hezekiah before reversing his word? I don't know. But in the providence of God, his most holy, wise and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions, God's first word to Hezekiah is not his last, but rather a call to pray for new mercies. Certainly in verse 5, the Lord God indicates that prayer was at least one reason for the reverse. I have heard your prayer, God says to Hezekiah. Our prayers matter to God. Should that amazing truth not spur us on in our prayer life, in our walking by faith, in our looking to God, especially when we see the results as far as Hezekiah is concerned? Instead of death, there will be recovery. Instead of funeral, instead of a funeral worship, instead of defeat, deliverance. It's really quite staggering. God would not only heal Hezekiah, but heal him quickly. In three days, he would be at worship. And while divine healing 
does not exclude human means, Isaiah instructing that a poultice of figs be applied. The sign that Hezekiah receives, the shadow going back ten steps, tells us that this was no natural affair. Isaiah calls on God to make it happen. As verse 11 tells us, Hezekiah's prayers, Isaiah's prayers, bring the living God into this situation. In prayer, they look to God. They walk by faith, not by sight. They do not just focus on what they see around them. They look to God. They turn to God in prayer. Do we? And with what expectation? Listen to these words from John Newton's old hymn. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Suit meaning petition. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore will not say thee nay. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Are our prayers too small? Do we look around rather than looking up? Do we walk by faith or walk by sight? Which is what we find Hezekiah doing in the second half of our passage. Hezekiah receives envoys from Babylon. Impressive people, influential people, powerful people. The kind of people who can make you feel important. Turn your head. They come bearing gifts and letters. There was more than congratulations on Hezekiah's recovery involved. At that time, reading the history of the period, Merodach Baladin was a bit of a thorn in the side of Assyria, a credible alternative to their power. And for Hezekiah to take his visitors on a tour of his treasures and armaments goes beyond the response that a mere gift requires. Hezekiah was showing what resources he could bring to the table in an alliance against Assyria. Nothing new. Judah had also been drawn to Egypt. Hezekiah is looking to people. Impressive, influential, powerful people. But still, only people. Having walked by faith, he walks by sight. Babylon and not God fill his thoughts. Our own equivalent of Babylon. Those things we consider important, impressive, influential, can so easily fill our thoughts. So easily be that which we look to. We can so easily find ourselves walking by sight. Walking by what we see around us rather than by faith. Enter the prophet Isaiah who pointedly asks Hezekiah, what did these men say? Where did they come from? Babylon, answers Hezekiah. What did they see? Asks Isaiah. Everything, says Hezekiah. 
will hear the word of the Lord on this, says Isaiah. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. As Isaiah said to different kings at different points in his ministry, you can't lean on God's arm and on Babylon's arm. You can't lean on God's arm or in Egypt's arm. You can't walk by faith and walk by sight. It won't go well for you. It won't go well for the nation, says Isaiah to Hezekiah. Verses 17 and 18 in this passage signal what will play out in the rest of 2 Kings. In chapter 21, we see that Manasseh's 55-year reign puts Judah beyond the point of recovery. But it's chapter 20 that shows us that the road to Babylon, the road to exile, began with godly king Hezekiah. It began with Hezekiah walking by sight and not by faith. In verses 12 to 19, we see a king who finds it hard to be faithful. This is the king who 2 Kings 18.5 tells us trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And yet Hezekiah seems to think that this same God needs a bit of a leg up from Babylon. As already said, this is not a failure unique to Hezekiah but one that afflicts God's people. How changing our commitment can be. How fickle our faith. How we need the work of the Holy Spirit within us. How we need a fearful and holy realism as to our faith, and sometimes the lack of it. Remember Peter on the beach with Jesus after the resurrection. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Mirroring the three times Peter has denied his Lord. On the third occasion, a hurt Peter simply has to blurt out, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. No more grandiose declarations about how much he loved Jesus. No pledges that even if all others forsook Jesus, Peter would stand as the only faithful one. That seems to have been knocked out of him by past events, making him more cautious, more circumspect in his spiritual self-assessment. How we need to be praying in the Spirit for such spiritual self-assessment, crying out to God to keep us in recognition of how easily we can fall. We have to look to God and not to self. 
as his interaction with Isaiah comes to an end, we find Hezekiah looking to self. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? We see Hezekiah's self-centeredness. Good, he says, there will be peace and security in my remaining 15 years. Hezekiah evidence, evidences an it-will-see-me-out attitude. This could be applied in many ways. But prompted by a few things that have happened in this last week, I want to apply it briefly to the planet. If, you were, if I were to ask you what was God's greatest gift, what was God's greatest gift to us, I hope you would say Jesus. But I would also hope that we'd see the planet as another of God's greatest gifts. The place he has created for us to live. The place that by his sustaining power provides the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat. The place, yes, that Genesis tells us we are to rule over, subdue and have dominion over, as all the translations have it. Terms that have sometimes carried negative connotations, but the same, same Hebrew word for rule in Genesis also appears in Psalm 72. And in the psalm, the ruler concerned is spoken of in these terms. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. And added to this, in Genesis 2, we are told that humanity are placed in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Words which carry the sense of serve, protect, guard, keep from which comes the idea of stewardship. We are to be good stewards of God's creation, to rule over it, like the godly ruler depicted in Psalm 72. We only have to turn on the news to see or hear the cost of our treatment of God's creation. Intensifying global threats such as extreme weather, Sea level rises and melting glaciers are wreaking havoc in our world and putting the well-being, and in many cases, the lives of millions at risk. By comparison with the majority in the world, without minimising the trauma some have experienced, we have largely been unaffected by these events and have known peace and security. But what of those who will follow us? Will peace and security in our life be our focus? Will we be self-centred or God-centred with regard to the planet? What will our response be? Will we say along with Hezekiah, good, the greater extent of this disaster will not affect us? Will we walk by sight, focusing on self? Or will we walk by faith? focusing on God? Will we turn to him in prayer? Prayer for world leaders as they come to COP26, doing what we alone can. Bring God into this situation. And if we think 
This is something really a bit dodgy. Really, we should be more focused on spiritual matters. I would ask you, where are the bulk of these things, these catastrophic events happening just now? They're happening in places where the church is most vibrant. They're happening to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Will we walk by faith or will we walk by sight in this matter? Will we do what God requires? God asks us to. Will we commune with God? Do what God was influenced by. I have heard your prayer, God said to Hezekiah. Will we pray to the God revealed to us in Scripture? As I said in the introduction, this incident took place before the Assyrian invasion of Judah, which threatened the destruction of Jerusalem. A threat that, as we read in verse 6, God had promised to deliver his people from. A promise that, like all of God's promises, held good. But Hezekiah had his, had his part to play in that as well. And as we look at 2 Kings 18 and 19, he did. He once again looked to God. He once again showed concern. He once again walked by faith. His dalliance with Babylon was not the end for Hezekiah, as his denial of Christ was not the end for Peter. Ultimately, the Bible portrays these men as those who trusted in God, those who walked by faith and not by sight. Hezekiah and Peter did not always get it right. Their walking by sight is there for us to learn from. To create in us an awareness that we need God in Jesus Christ by his spirit to keep us. To keep us. That we might not look to self, but look to God. That we might walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, may we be your people here in this place. People who live in the light of the life to come. People who pray people who make prayer a priority because we want to see lives renewed because we want to see lives renewed in Jesus Christ because we want to see our planet renewed through that life in Jesus name we ask it Amen We stand to sing in closing Mission Praise 1141.
You're the word of God the Father. Mission Praise 11.41 Find your strength in the Lord and in his indwelling power and the blessing of God Almighty Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest upon us both now and forevermore. Amen.